Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade. Helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. G'day, Coxie. G'day, Waz. How are you going this morning? G'day, listeners. I'm really well, Nicole, and uh, I was deciding whether to say hello to you first or to our listeners first, and then I felt like I'd be upsetting at least half of the choices, so I had a chance <laughs> of getting it half wrong or half right, and so I just went with you because you're in front of me. <laughs> that was very convoluted. I really don't mind if you say good morning <laughs> to our listeners first. That would uh, not be offensive. That's probably not a bad analogy for how a lot of people run their business is they, it's like, uh, I don't know, I'll just do the thing in front of me. Not yeah, or well, the easier one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the least scary one. Uh, speaking of scary things, Coxie, uh, it doesn't really come out till the end of today's interview, but man, I was <laughs> cringing. <laughs> and, and our guest is quite a detailed kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, he gave a very detailed description of, of uh, what happened to him. Mm. If you have a sensitive stomach, don't listen till the end. <laughs> if you have a vivid imagination. Oh, you might be... like to listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, probably not relevant to running a business, although it is. And it was such a great little um, analogy, I guess, Coxie, mm. of just ignoring the negative voices, whether they're from yourself or from people around you. And uh, basically today's guest was told he wouldn't walk, mm-hmm. um, wouldn't play sport, wouldn't run with his kids, any of that sort of stuff. And um, he basically told them all, by the way, today's episode is explicit if you hadn't noticed that. We um, <laughs> we left our guests uh descriptive language in for authenticity. <laughs> so if you're offended by adult language, um, you would have seen that today's episode is marked explicit and now would be a good time to tune out or just not have the kids listen to this one because there's a couple of uh, couple of descriptive words that are used. Um, descriptive. I like your description of the word. <laughs> so uh, cover the kidlet's ears. And uh, basically, yeah, today's guest said, um, fuck yous all, I'm going to do it anyway. He did. And that's pretty much been his approach to business. And not surprisingly, Coxie, he's getting some fantastic results in all facets of the business, not just financially, although that's pretty impressive. So, It's a very interesting interview. I think this is one of my favorite real tradie stories because it perhaps bucks the trend of the way most tradies go about running a trade business. So I think you'll enjoy listeners. Please give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast, Matt Bruce from MJB Bodyworks, mate. Good to have you on. Thank you. <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> true, true, true. And every time we talk about you, every time we talk about you, I think about Bruce the shark from Finding Nemo. Bruce, I can imagine you just Hello. 
Yeah, <laughs> thank you. You do it a lot better than I do. <laughs> so every time we talk about you, that's the mental image I'm getting is the Bruce the shark there you are. Yeah, I'm no shark. But you're, don't worry about oh, that. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't you're think you're a, like shark, a shark. Matt. Yeah, yeah. Definitely sharking the results. So, uh, Matt, you are, what are you actually? Are you a panel beater or a spray painter? I'm actually a panel beater by trade. So, you know, luckily enough, I had uh, some good bosses over the years and which have turned out to be some good mates. And um, they taught me how to uh, be a spray painter at the same time. Uh, that's where a lot of my overtime come in as an apprentice and as, a, as an early tradesman um, and uh, just will, willing to learn, you know, willingness to learn as well as uh, office work. And that's one of the reasons I was able to do what I'm doing now. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty lucky to have those guys in the first place that taught me all the stuff that I know now. I would say that I'm very naive in your particular trade. In fact, I did not know that being a panel beater was actually a trade. <laughs> Is it something you did? I didn't know. That's Is that because it involves paint, Coxie? No, I, no, I would never <laughs> say those words on the podcast. <laughs> but I, can you tell me, just because I am so naive and don't have a clue, tell me about, is it like a three or four year apprenticeship, like most apprenticeships? Yeah. Unfortunately, Nick, um, just, just like yourself, even the government don't even recognise us. <laughs> um, because even if you go to fill out any government forms or anything like that, there's no tick box for panel beaters, spray painters. Um, we either come under automotive industry or just under trades. Wow. Um, obviously, your electricians, your plumbers, all that kind of stuff, they're, they're yeah. in there. Um, but we are a massive part of Australia in, uh, in trades. But, um, yeah, panel beating apprenticeship, uh, same as a spray painting apprenticeship, takes four years. Um, these days, it's, it's competency-based. Uh, competency so, obviously, it depends on how good you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did mine in about just over three years, mm-hmm. um, 2017 years ago. Um, so, you know, I was, I was pretty lucky once again to have the guys that I had working with me to teach me what I knew. Um, but obviously like, like every trade, you never know what you're doing until, well, still now I'm still learning after 20 years. Um, and yeah, I think that's the best thing about a trade. You're always learning. Um, and even business. Oh, most definitely. Business is a whole nother beast, isn't it? That's a lifelong apprenticeship. <laughs> There's definitely. no point at which you can say, you know what that is. But I'm so you would have seen a lot of changes, I would think, because I'm thinking about the cars we all drove 20 years ago, and they were still all very much steel. Uh, I assume that's what they were. And nowadays, they're very. I think about my own vehicle, and it's got plastic bumpers, and it's very different to the way they were. I can imagine it would be a continual learning process. I guess, like any trade, changes come and go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's. Um... So obviously your older cars, your 60s, your 70s, even your 80s vehicles, um, right up into the 90s were a different kettle of fish with the steel and the way they were built. But obviously technology, as it uh, increased, they developed newer ways to basically keep the passengers safer in a car. Um, Mm. And in doing that, it means basically not sacrificing, um, but the skin of a car, the outside of a vehicle, it's more for aesthetic pleasure, mm. um, you know, there for looks and not much else. Um, but the cage of the car, the, the main structure of the vehicle is built to take all the inertia out of an accident. Um, so all those bits that crumble and, you know, your, your plastic bits and whatnot, um, yeah, they're all designed to take the inertia out of an accident. Um, there's a really good um, YouTube video of a... I think it's about a 2005 um, Impala mm-hmm. uh, versus a 1967 Impala head-on, mm-hmm. 100 kilometres an hour. 
And uh, it's interesting to see the passenger in the car, how they, the, the 60s Impala, the person bounces up, hits the roof, goes back over the seat, comes forward, hits the dash again, hits the roof about two or three times. Wow. Um, as opposed to the person in the 2005 where they go forward, they hit the airbag, and they gently rest back into the seat. So, you know, they're, they're designed to keep us alive at the end of the day. You know, like uh, when I was an apprentice, I, I liked the idea of an old car. I had a 1967 HR and a 1985 Commodore, mm-hmm. um, and I liked the strength that they had uh, because they were much better steel to work on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the steel didn't stretch when you were working on it, whereas nowadays, Still, a lot thinner um, and a lot harder to not work with, but it's easy to stretch is easier. So you know, it can basically end up like a wobble board um, unless you if you don't know how to work that panel properly. So um, yeah. So is it a harder trade now than it was? Sorry, work when you were a young fella. Um, I wouldn't say um, we've got to know a lot more. Um, you know, just different. Uh, High steel strengths, uh, high steel steel strengths. Um, there's just so many types of steel now, um, aluminium, uh, and they're putting so many different things into into cars these days. There's all different techniques, and we've got to have fifty thousand dollar machines to spot weld these together. And you know, with every different steel, you got to have a different machine. Mm. Um, so you know, and then bring in Tesla, and Tesla's, Tesla's created another kettle of fish again. Uh, and they they basically make it not harder, um, but they kind of force these particular panel shops, certain panel shops, if you want a contract to have certain tools to do their work. Um, and then, you know, obviously we've got electric cars as well, like Tesla, um, but Toyota and Mazda and all that are doing that as well. So we've got to know how to deal with that. We've basically come electricians dealing with these thick cables in cars. So um, yeah, it's it's quite interesting to wait. It has it has moved. It's it's increased, but that's what training's all about. Yeah, and that's what I was saying that we never stop learning. We never stop learning as a trainer. We'll never stop learning as a business owner. And um, we've just got to continue bouncing off each other, bouncing off our reps, bouncing you know obviously off our uh, our dealers, and um, yeah, just always learning, constantly learning. So how did you uh, go from, I guess, being a tradesman to going into business, mate? What was behind that? Um, basically, like I said, you know, when I was when I was an apprentice, I was learning a lot of office stuff and things like that. I was kind of, without sounding creepy, uh, getting groomed to be a business owner. Um, you know, it was uh, my good mate, who is a good mate of mine still now. Uh, he was my boss back then. And... Um, teaching me the office skills and all the other skills around. So he was actually wanting me to take over the business. Never told me at the time. Um, but um, unfortunately, when about 12 months after I finished my apprenticeship, I decided I wanted to leave and go do something different for a while, something a bit more industrial. Um, so I became a boilermaker and, you know, um, basically like a industrial spray painter as well, industrial panel leader, working on excavators, dump trucks, um, dredges, all that kind of stuff. Uh, which that gave me my fabrication side, which was really cool. Um, after a couple of years of that, I kind of decided I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to be in that anymore. I liked cars. I loved working on cars. They're a lot smaller. They're a lot more, a lot easier to work with. Um, you can be a bit more rough on machinery, and I didn't like that. But I like mm. being rough. 
Mm. I like what we do. Um, so I went back to Colonel Beaton, uh, back in the same shop. I did my apprenticeship. And once again, you know, boss was backwards and forwards, teaching me more and more and more. And he decided he wanted to sell the business um, and didn't, didn't offer it to me because he didn't think I was ready for it. Uh, offered it to the manager at the time. He's got that business. He's taken it to the next level. Uh, but I worked with him for another three years after that. Uh, and during that course of time, I thought, well, yeah, I was missing the the customer, um, not customer satisfaction, but sort of customer satisfaction, customer service. Just felt as though there wasn't customer service there and I wanted to recreate that. And I thought, well, the only way I can do this is if I do it myself. Um, you know, a few, few things changed my life in that in that three-year period and uh, I thought, oh, now's the time in 2011, so just after the GFC. Um, I think a lot of people coming off that and they thought I was absolutely nuts starting a business. Um, but I thought with, with my abilities and broad range of stuff that I could do, I thought I'd be right, and which I was. You know, here I am nine years later. Um, you know, still got me health and still... Still here, and um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I just wanted to change things and bring back the whole customer service thing, and you know, create my number, my customers as customers know them as a name, you know, know them as Nick, know them as was, uh, know them by their car, not by number, mm. and um, you know, my customers they they love that, yeah, and that's the, the the small shop feel. I've gone from a small shop to a kind of a little bit bigger than we call a um, a boutique shop. I think mm-hmm. that's what they call it. To me, it sounds like more like a hair salon. <laughs> um, but having having staff of uh, currently, we've got five, um, soon to be hopefully six when we find another panel better. And um, you know, I'm I'm happy with that at the moment. But we we've got plenty of room to grow, and we're always working on more techniques and more more growth and the next goal to set. Mm. So yeah, that was a long long spiel on what I did. <laughs> Long spells are good. We like long spells. I'm. Uh, I want to touch base back onto the customer service because I think it's a really clever angle to come in on. And I'm going to talk from my own perspective as a woman. I've had my car in the shop to be fixed. I've had somebody run up the back of me and someone run into the side of me. So I've had two experiences, both of which I was nothing but a number. And I was so intimidated to walk into the workshop. And I'm not easily intimidated, especially with working in the construction industry. Obviously, I work with fellas all the time. But there's two areas of my life I don't particularly like. Ordinarily, anything to do with cars. I love cars, but I find those workshops to be intimidating and butchers. I can't say go to a butcher. But I think that is a really important area that you discovered early on, that customer experience, understanding what's happening with their car. Because my cars are my babies. I love my cars. I take very good care of my car. I want to know that you're going to take good care of my car. I want to know that you'll respect it the way that I would respect it and that that finished product is not just about what it looks like but about the care you took of the whole vehicle while it was there. But I also want to feel like I'm valued and it's not just in, out, done, forget about it, move on, here's your car, let's go. I find it um, interesting to think that as a young fellow, you were able to see that was missing in the industry and I wonder how that point came to you. Where was it that you realised that, that that's one of the points that was lacking. Lucky enough, um, as much as a lot of people think it's a bit, you know, not weird, but um, uh, being an employee for McDonald's, I, um, I started there when I was 15. Um, I was basically only just 15 and I worked there for five years and went through all the rankings and everything, could have got into management, um, chose not to, 
But um, the um, sorry, was I can't read that, mate. <laughs> we can hear you tapping again. the desk, mate. You're emphasising all your points with uh, a bit of desk oh, yeah, tapping. Yeah. Can't help it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so working with Maccas for five years, you know, seeing what they do and how they do it, you know, it's their, their systems and, you know, creating customer service and, you know, it was a bit of a, a bit of a wank factor with the, up on the menu board, I, I don't know if they still have it now, but they had smiles free, you know, on the menu board. Um, so, you know, that was uh, 20, 23 years ago I started working there, which sounds really sad, but um what I gained from working at McDonald's, I, I love it. You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I still speak to a lot of people I used to work with because um, I, I did work with a lot of people over the uh, at five years, mm. uh, management as well as staff. And um, a lot of them actually went on to still work with McDonald's now and work in McDonald's Australia as accountants or financial advisors. And, you know, they, they, they take these people to the next level. You know, they, they pay for the university and really stretch them out that it's it's unbelievable the amount of knowledge that they receive and just the the way they break it down in the first place with their systems is absolutely unbelievable um, and you know when, when you're working there as a 15 or 16 year old you know you do think this is a bit of a bit of a wank factor or, you know they got these systems and they got this and they got that when you get to a point of owning a business, you think, well, shit, they got these 15 and 16-year-olds to run their multi-million dollar businesses. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a, well, it's a multi-billion dollar company, really, worldwide, um, which is absolutely impressive. You know, we, you've got 18-year-olds that are managing these businesses. And back, back then, we, we had it to a point. Um, so I used to work at, originally at Sunshine Plaza. Um, and we'd work on half an hour turnover, you know, how much we could produce in a half an hour. And that little store alone with five registers could turn over over $1,000 in half an hour. Jeez. Um, yeah. That's and impressive. You, yeah, and, that, and that's it, yeah. And this is back in the day of I was on $6.50 an hour as a 15 or 16-year-old, mm. you know. Um, mind you, I was more on more as a... Um, working there for five years when I because I crossed over my apprenticeship with my with working there for twelve months, and I was on more at McDonald's than I was <laughs> as an apprentice. So yeah, I was on five dollars an hour as an apprentice. Surprising. Yep, exactly. It. Um, yeah, five dollars an hour as an apprentice and fourteen an hour as a uh, at McDonald's. Um, now, obviously, those wages have increased a lot, mm. and even even with apprenticeship wages as well. Um, but you know, a McDonald's someone at McDonald's at the moment are on 15 or 16 bucks an hour as a 15 year old. Mm. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, apprenticeships don't look that appealing anymore because <laughs> they can make more money at uh, McDonald's. But yeah, no, every, everything that is bestowed in McDonald's itself as a business should be, you know, implemented in every business possible. You know, I want to, you know, and that's one of the things that I'm working with was about that trying to free myself up uh, personally so I can be, in this current office at the moment, working on different systems so things don't get missed, mm. you know, right down to the point of with McDonald's, they tell you to, you know, mustard, ketchup, onion, pickle, cheese. There's a cheeseburger, you know, and each individual station is broken down like that. Mm. And that's why a 15-year-old can do it. But they're constantly 
testing you on that. So, you know, you, you're keeping up your skills so then you can move to the next station and then the next station and the next station. Um, yeah. Matt, I'm, I'm curious, Matt, uh, the whole McDonald's thing does come up. It's used by a lot of, <clears throat> I guess, uh, business educators and business people talk about the McDonald's model and it's, it's sort of held up as the holy grail of systemizing a business and getting it to work with, you know, perhaps less skilled employees or cheaper employees or without you being there, uh, which is certainly the case for those McDonald's stores. But some of the, the flip side of that, a lot of business owners are like, oh, I don't want to, you know, that they sort of look at the McDonald's experience and say it's cookie cutter, it's soulless, uh, there's no relationship and they're hamburgers. It's simple. Of course, you can systemize that. I, I don't imagine that panel beating is... Uh, you see the same job every single day. Yeah, they're all cars, but every single crash is different. Every single fix-up would have different elements to it. What would you say to a business owner who's against that sort of McDonaldization of their business because it's too hard or it takes the life out of your business or whatever pushback they give? What's well, method in? At the end of the day, <laughs> it's yeah, like obviously we, we can't. We can you can you can put systems in to a point. You know, obviously you're, you've got your tradesperson that know what they're doing with their repair. You know, like um, there's still a system to pull something apart. So there's still a process. And that's all the system is, is the process. Um, you know, it's breaking it down. Not, you're not dumbing it down. You're not, you know, a tradie still knows what they're doing. But there could be a pivotal step that may be missed. Um, you know, it's just... Even something as basic as, say, washing a car, for us, you know, like every, every car that comes in my shop uh, for our private customers, we wash. Um, and something as simple as washing the wheels can make the difference between the customer going, wow, my car looks fantastic. Thanks for washing off that brake dust that I haven't washed off in the last six months. <laughs> so, you know, ticking off that list is, you know, it, it, it can make the difference of having that customer come back or giving a four-star Google review or a five-star Google review. Mm. Um, so you know those those systems. As much as you know, like myself, I'm still I'm still trying to get things in place to do put more stuff on paper. And I really discovered this when I when I had an apprentice that I needed to put more on paper. So you know, you could break it down for him. He he was he had worked in Macca's before as well, so he knew what systems were. He knew what um, so. Basically, Mac has used what's called a um, SOC, so a station observation checklist, which is basically what we're doing. You know, we've, in a panel shop, we've got a bunch of stations as such. You know, we've got a paint shop, we've got a panel shop, yeah, we've got a wash bay, we've got an office, you know, and, you, and each individual one will be broken down to multiple things. Um, if you probably, if you asked a McDonald's person to give you every single SOC that they have for McDonald's itself to run a store. Honestly, I wouldn't lie that you would have probably an inch thick in A4 paper because they cover everything right down to uniform. You know, and the way you dress, the way you smell, your way you, uh, your mannerisms, you know, the way you approach a customer, uh, the way you handle money. Um, so, you know, those, those systems create well, basically a unitized business, something that can run on its own, you know, something that I could give either of you two that have never been into a panel shop or never worked on a car, if you basically follow these instructions, you should be able to 
pull that door apart. Mm-hmm. It may take you two hours instead of what it would take me 15 minutes, um, but that comes with time. That's right. And that's why we have systems. So, Matt, how do you get people to actually follow those systems? It's basically creating it so it's it's a tick list, you know. Um, being, that's the other thing with McDonald's. They create, a, it's a team, one big team. You know, you've, you've got 50 staff for say one small store, but they're one big team. Mm. Um, and that team, they, they've got to work together. If they don't work together, well, you get your, you get your burger without a pickle, don't you? Or you get a burger without a meat patty. Um, <laughs> or you get your burger in buddy two minutes instead of a minute and a half. Um, and that's, I don't know, once again, you know, it could have changed in the last 18 years. Um, I know the quality certainly changed, but that's exactly between me and Mark Hamer, mate. You should have seen us go back in the day. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, having that tick list and constantly doing it, you know, repetitiveness. That's that's the other thing that they had. You know, like I said, you, they stayed on a station. You stay on a particular station until you get it right, and then. You know, they'll randomly just do a, a an SOC on you again, you know, just out of the blue. Mm. You know, you, you didn't do this. You know, that's a cross. You know, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, shit, i got to do this. So then you will go through, back through your SOC again and go, right, yeah, well, I'll break it down. You're not necessarily dumbing it down. It's just minimizing it. Yeah. You know, instead of having a list, you know, uh, going, make a burger, you go, well, you know, your bun get cooked and then, yeah, mustard, ketchup, cheese, uh, onion, pickle, so on and so forth. Um, they're just breaking, breaking it down to make it work. Yeah. And, and something you keep talking about, Matt, sorry, Coxie, to cut you off there, <clears throat> is training. Like what they're doing is just constantly training in those systems. Uh, just creating the system is not enough, but they've actually got to be supervising, keeping people accountable, checking in, mm-hmm. tracking their performance, training them to train them to follow the system. And, and eventually it obviously becomes habit uh, for people. But uh, it's it's just, we hear a lot of pushback, mate. And you, you have um, mentioned the fact that you're working with us here. Are you lucky enough to have scored me as your, uh, as your coach, mate, as one of our tradiepreneur clients? Um, Matt, I I, uh, I literally have your uh, profit and loss on the screen behind us here because I want to ask you some questions, not specifically about the numbers. We won't uh, we won't show people your underpants, but um, <laughs> mate, you've you've been a bit of a superstar in the last couple of years, and like you've more than doubled your revenue in two years. So it's you know over a two hundred percent increase in revenue. The thing that I find most impressive in what you've been able to do, Matt, is to actually increase your net profit by nine times. Uh, and that's that's no mean feat when you're growing a business like yours that has a big physical footprint. You know, you've got more factory space, more machinery. Um, I know we've been having conversations about adding even more cool stuff to your, uh, <laughs> to your workshop. But uh, what's what's been some of the... I guess I'm always interested in the hard lessons because I think, you know, it's it's probably a bit of a, a cheap shot for a podcast interviewer to go, oh, what's some of the tough lessons you've learned in the last couple of years? 
but that's the stuff people want to hear about because our listeners are, are sitting there thinking, well, that all sounds great. You know, he's he's doubled his turnover and 10x his net profit. Obviously, there's something special about this guy, apart from the fact that you've only got one toe. Uh, Six. <laughs> Hang on, woo! These are stories, not for me. <laughs> so we'll we'll get to the six-toed sloth um, in a second, but uh, what what has been some of the, I suppose, um, big two a.m. aha moments you've had in the last couple of years in getting those incredible results, Matt? I, probably the biggest thing would be um, my team and making. Making um, making the realization that I'm not the only one that can do what I can do. I'm, I'm not the best at what I do, and I'll be 100 percent with anyone with that. Um, I love what I do, and I take pride in what I do, but I'm still not the best. Um, and um, you know, there's there's a reason I'm able to do multiple things because I'm I'm jack of all, master of none. Um, but um, letting go. That's probably the biggest thing that I could probably give to any tradie is, um, you know, pull your head out of your ass, let go. You know, you, we're tradespeople. We've learned over the years, you know, doing apprenticeships and doing our trade under other tradesmen, but working with other tradesmen. And um, you know, my, my guys out there, they know what they're doing. So, you know, being able to say, hey, man, paint this or, you know, fix this. Um knowing full well that that, that they can do their job you know it is hard to let go you know being especially it's it's your business it's it's my name you know Mm. and you know unfortunately if something fucks up who's a customer going to come and say um they don't give a shit about the guy they did it they they want to see the guy that they've dealt with in the first place Mm. and you know if they're cranky well they're going to take it out on me Mm. so you know and then i'm gonna i'm not going to specifically take it out on on the team but I'm going to stand back and go, well, shit, where did we go wrong? What, what did we do? What did we do wrong? Was it training? Do we need some, new, some more training on why it's stuffed up? But that's, that's probably the, the biggest thing, mate, that, that you've seen me do is let go. Uh, and that's why I've gone from a team of two, um, myself and a spray painter, to now a team of five, myself, a panel better, and two spray painters and an office girl, or office woman, sorry. Um, and even having Sarah, my office woman in the office, she is taking so much pressure off me. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, tradies and their paperwork, it, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yep. We, yep. We, we do what we do because, you know, we're good at what we do. Mm. We don't do paperwork. Mm. Yeah. Paperwork is a pain in the ass. I was, I was in the shop until... 10, 11, 12 at night, some nights, um, you know, setting up all the stuff for bass. And then the accountant would come back to me and say, oh, yeah, you've missed this and you've missed that. And now we've got to spend more hours fixing things. Well, it's because I was tired and I can barely see the screen. Mm. Um, But just letting go. And because of of that, you know, I've got Sarah in the office. She's doing all that. And then having a good accountant to be able to finish it off. so setting up these these people and their team to do their job, um, not specifically doing my job, because my job is being the boss. Yeah, my 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 job is to oversee everything. In saying that, I love my job. I love doing what I do. I love being a panel beater. I love being a spray painter. And help as much 
much as I didn't like customer service, went like not customer service, dealing with customers in McDonald's, I never liked being on the front counter. I could probably count on both both hands and my feet. Thanks for it. Um, <laughs> how many times I did front counter and uh, drive through um, because I didn't like that whole dealing with customers. Um, but having that confidence more and more and more dealing with people and having to deal with you know, difficult customers is always a difficult customer at some point. We can't satisfy everyone. Um, so like I said, I can, I can let go and spread these things out. And because I've been able to do that, I've been able to free myself up and do other stuff and work on parts, making, making profit out of parts. I've never, never really looked into that as much until Warwick gave me a kick up the ass and said, <laughs> what, what's going on with this margin here? What's going on with that margin there? Why are you only making this much when you can be making this much? Do some research. And we got it to the point where, you know, we can, we can make 20 or 30 or 40% on a part because we're using the right people. Mm-hmm. And getting that relationship with that, that parts company is fantastic. You know, um, Toyota alone, we, we spent uh, $80,000 in parts this, this financial year. Um, I never would have dreamed that I would have spent over a quarter of a million dollars in parts in a financial year. Um, it's, it's funny who you, who you talk to about different things, you know, margins and whatnot. Some, some shop owners will say you'll make your money out of labour and then other guys will say you make your money out of parts. I'm a firm believer in both. But at the same time, the profit margin in parts for us is money for nothing. It's the money for a phone call. Um, so doing that little bit of shopping around um, to make sure that that particular company is going to help us. And even even if it's a company that you've been working with, go, you know, hey, why, why am I only getting 11% on this guard? I've been dealing with you guys for a long time. I've spent $20,000 in the last two months. Why am I only getting 11%? Oh, oh shit, we've only got you on general trade. Okay, well, now it's 22% or 25%. Mm. So just questioning, got to ask the question. You don't ask the question, you don't get an answer. And they're just going to sit in the background and just go, oh, whatever, you don't give a shit. So we'll just keep on charging in because they want their profit margin. Mm. And more money they make out of you, hey, bonus for them. Absolutely. that's the thing about obviously being business owners. We we're not at we're not, no, no point we're out there to screw people, but at the same time we've got to live. You know, I got a family of two boys and my wife. Um, you know, so I got to support them. You know, I got a family I got to feed, and you know, for the first time in by making all these changes with work in the last two years and with my team and all that kind of stuff. Uh, being able to pay myself constantly, pay myself a wage since November last year. It's only a thousand bucks. So it's basically it's, it's what I was on when I left the trade. I left uh, another business. So it, it's taken me eight and a half years to get here. Uh, in saying that, I have obviously I've been taking drawings and all that kind of stuff, but I never had one constant one thousand bucks a week. So the next step is obviously well, where do we go from here? Do we we step it up to fifteen hundred bucks a week, uh, and because I think of that, you just made a commitment, Matt. No, <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Our community's going to hold you to that, buddy. 
uh, not what I'm making that's in this invest, investment in this spray booth. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's uh, I guess that's the thing too. Uh, eight years in business, Matt. Uh, you know what? What are some of the things? I got so many questions I want to ask you here, but. Um, none of them relate to the the one toe thing. I know Coxie's dying to ask you about that. I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> Just go on my Facebook page, Nicole. <laughs> what are what are some of the the key things that you wished you'd done? Uh, you know, more than a year or two ago when uh, you first started working with us here. Um, got out more. Got out more and worked on the business instead of in the business. Instead of busting my ass, dragging, dragging my guts under cars all the time. Like I said, I love what I do. I re- really do enjoy what I do. Um, but at the same time, once again, I've got guys that can do my job. They can do what what I do. And I'm not going to lie, they, in a lot of cases, 99% of the time, they do it better than I do because they're constantly doing it. Mm. Um, you know, and, you know, same old factor. If you do it constantly, you're going to get better at it. Um, and uh but yeah getting out there and creating the work that i want not not the work that i have to get you know because it's 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 more the fact that you know you want to you got to make the margin you know and it's watching watching those numbers that was probably one of the the key things watching those numbers and knowing even out of my head i could i could basically tell you some numbers now um that was looking at and I can tell you those off the top of my head without a doubt. Were um, you sorry, Matt? Were you a numbers guy before? Have you ever been a no. numbers guy? No, no. So basically, I was I was always you know verbally quoting and things like not always. So probably fifty percent of the time I was verbally quoting. So <laughs> which which made it fine by me. Like it was fine by me because I was the one doing the job. Um, and I thought I was helping my customers by doing that because it was in they're in. They got their quote, they're out, they're done. You know, it's written on the back of a card. There's no efficiency in that. Mm. Yeah, pa- paper's gone. I'm sorry, it's 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 long gone. You know, soon to be money as well. Everything's going to be electronic. Like <laughs> um, cash still to me, cash is king. But hey, um, but um, yeah, watching watching those those figures and knowing what's coming and what's going um, helps me helps me grow, helps my business grow, helps my team grow. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't um, hold anything back from my guys. If we had a good month, I'll tell them. And I'll also give them a bonus because of it. Because they know, I know that they've done a good job and they're, they're the reason that I still have a business. Even through all this bullshit that we've got happening, um, you know, the last month or two, uh, lockdowns and shit like that, I still had a business because they would still... They were still doing the job, yeah, um, and they realised without without me they wouldn't have a job at the same time. So we all work hand in hand, um, you know. Without me doing quotes, they haven't got work to work on. Without the work to work on, they haven't got a job. I haven't got a business. Mm. So you know, you, getting getting that team to work together is pivotal. Um, so the things I would have I would have changed if I had the, the knowledge that I do now. There's lots of things I would have changed in the last 20 years, but uh, in the last eight to nine years, um, yeah, putting everything on paper or putting everything on a computer as a quote, huge. 
um, doing the work that I want to do, not the work that I have to do, that I think I have to do. Um, and if Joe Bloggs is down the road, is cheaper than I am, hey, no dramas. That's fine. Let him do the job. Mm. You know, if he wants to do it $100 cheaper than me, that's fine. I'm not here to squabble about it. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is. You know, you wouldn't go to Woolworths and say, oh, I don't want to pay 50 bucks for that. I want to pay 40. No, sorry. It doesn't work like that. Mm. Uh, we're not a, we're not a bartering community. It's not Mad Max. Um, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. But having, having my team and putting everything on a, in our quoting system and even changing my quoting system in the last 12 months helped me be able to step away when I'm not, when I'm, when I'm not here, the boys still know what's going on. Sarah still knows what's going on. Mm. Uh, we know what cars are coming in. We know what amount of uh, dollar figure is coming in as well for that week. Um, there's, always, there's always a spanner in the works. Okay? And that's, that's the other thing I've got to work on is stop people just dropping cars off. Um, and I have slowed that down a lot. Work saw me I worn out a lot of times in the last couple of years, um, just absolutely exhausted and you know, doing 13, 14 hour days and six, seven days a week. Um, dropping that off and, like I said, doing the work that we want to, not the work that we have to, and you know, increasing those that turnover from and increasing the turnover is good, but obviously watching those the bottom dollar, you know, making sure that I'm making that margin as well. Um, yeah, you know, I always thought that I was doing I was doing well because each individual year in the last well, prior prior to trades was I was in, increasing my turnover. And I got to a point where I went, how do I where do I go from here? Yeah, you know, I've just reached four hundred thousand dollars a year turnover with two guys. Well, shit, how do I increase that? And that was doing with the work that I, that I thought I had to, not the, th- not the work that I wanted to. Mm. Um, and doing, doing those extra hours and busting my ass and all those kind of things, you know, I always thought that was the way to be. That was a businessman. That was, you know, that was a tradie. That was, that was what my old man did. Mm. And, you know, I love my old man, but I, I, I want to see my family every day. Mm. So, um, you know, and, you know, I, I don't tell a lie. I, I still do work every now and then. I work till 10 at night. But that's only once, once fortnight or once every three weeks. Um, yeah, and that's once again working on something that I want to work, work on, not something that I have to work on. Mm. Um, sometimes it's something that I have to work on because um, we want to get that car out. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, it's usually something I want to work on. Um, but yeah, getting doing these things so I can spend the weekends with my my boys and my wife and see my boys grow up. And, you know, spend some quality time with my wife and actually uh, hopefully we'll be able to go to dinner again when things start settling <laughs> down. Um, and, you know, even just, just having a, a weekend away or a night away from, from everything, not, not, just, not just from um, the business, but from reality. Just taking a reality check and going down to Brisbane or Gold Coast with my wife or take my boys somewhere. And actually living my life instead of living a business, um, you know, that's that's what I was kind of thought it was in the first place. You know, seeing my old man do that, um, and I saw him worn out because of it, and I, di- I didn't want to do that. And in the last couple of years, changing those things 
means I can do these things with my family and not not only me, my team. Yeah, and that's that's the big thing that you know that's okay for me to you know only work four or five days a week. I work five days a week anyway, um, but I want my boys to only work five days a week. They shouldn't have to work harder because I'm not. Um, you know, we we do we do try to work together in all aspects. And if the boys want to do a bit overtime, I'll let them do a bit overtime. Or if we really really need to get a car out, so be it. You know, we'll we'll make it happen. Um, but I make them feel appreciated. Well, I'd like to think they feel appreciated from it. Um, and um, you know, at the end of the day, they still get to spend their weekends with their family and their wives and whatnot, and they still get to go home at four or five in the afternoon to see their family and their wives. They're not working late every night and busting their ass and wearing themselves out. Mm. Uh, I want to take you back to the the critical element that you said made the change here, and that was being able to let go. How did you, like, that's that's a massive thing to be able to do. How did you do that? Was it little bite-sized pieces? Was it something was forced upon you that you couldn't physically do, so you had to give it away to somebody else to do? How did that start for you? I was just so busy, so busy. And like I said, I was, I was working seven days a week and 12, 14 hours a day, you know, just worn out, yeah. And, you know, I thought, well, I've got to make a change here. I've got to get someone else. Um, I started off by getting a panel better, Um and that was, that was that was good. Yeah, it took me off the floor panel beating. That means I still had to do spray painting. And yeah, you know, you're in there for 30 or 40 minutes, depending on the job. Could be 10 or 15 minutes. But answering the phone, doing the office as well at the same time. Um, so I'm in and out of the booth. And then, yeah, you know, that that was kind of semi working, but I was I was busting my ass there as well. Mm. Um, so then I was like, well, I need to get myself out of the office, uh, sorry, out of the out of the booth and in the office more. And uh, that's why I thought, oh, okay, well, I need to get myself a spray painter. Um, and it's, it's, it, it is hard. It's kind of like, you know, you've got a piece of string and you just kind of just slowly letting it go, you know, cringing at the same time. Um, but you, you've got to bite the bullet, you know, and making sure that, Obviously, you guys are doing, and this was a, a valid lesson for me that you guys are doing the job, otherwise they're costing you money. And, you know, if they haven't got the training or they haven't got the ability, well, I'm sorry, time to move on. Mm. Ne- next next person in the door. Um, and the pivotal, pivotal changes I made in probably really the last 12 to 18 months, um, I changed paint companies and it kind of coincided with a few other things. So I'm not 100% that it's my paint company that was the issue. Um, but changing all these little items made the difference. Mm. Um, and having having the right guys to do the right job makes it easier to let go. Um, yeah, and it's, you can, personally, you can only really gauge a little bit of someone out of an interview. Uh, mm. Obviously, being a tradie, you need to see what they can do with their hands. They can talk the absolute world. You know, we had a guy in here for a day and a half he said he was the best, basically. Uh, I wasn't convinced because I don't like people that talk themselves up. Um, and um, he did two jobs. He had to redo both jobs. It lasted until midday that, the next day. Um, he he quit before I fired him. And, um, you know, I fired two people that week. 
unfortunately, the other one was a office junior that same deal couldn't do the job. It's um, you know it seemed I've seemed like a bit of an asshole, and that's not who I am. Um, but at the same time, I like my business to run right, and I like to have the right people to do it. Mm. And having the right people lets me pay them the right way. You know, um, unfortunately, our industry is just prone to. Uh, I'm not going to say low wages, but we are on the low, lower pay grade because once again, we don't exist. Mm. Um, but uh, being on that low pay grade doesn't mean I need to pay my guys on the lower pay grade. Um, I know what they do. I know how they do it and how well they do it. And because of that, I put them on that higher rate so then they can continue to do that and not get the shits with the money. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, not on, they're not on plumbers and electricians' wages, but they're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> They're not making millions of bucks. Now, Matt, uh, I know Coxie is dying to ask you about your toes, mate. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm hoping you're going to tell us because I'm sure the listeners want to know. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're like, um, what? what's, what's the, the one toe thing? <laughs> so 15, 15, 16 years ago, when I when I left my apprenticeship, uh, I'm sorry, left the, left the business where I did my apprenticeship, uh, I was working heavy machinery um, and um, sandblasting and heavy, industrial painting and things like that. Um, it was during the Christmas, kind of Christmas, New Year's holiday. Uh, I had a uh, A-frame off a, uh, off the front of a dredge, big heavy beam. You know, I thought it was only about three or 400 kilos, turned out it was over a ton. Um, it was uh, put somewhere it shouldn't have been by, a, um, by an operator. Um, not me in particular, because I had no dogman tickets or anything like that, so I couldn't be held accountable for anything like that. Um, wrong place, wrong time. The uh, A-frame slipped down, and a, uh, a foot and a half plate, uh, foot and a half by foot and a half by inch thick plate, steel plate, landed on my foot, um, squashing it between concrete and the steel plate. Oh. So a ton of steel coming down from over chest height. Um, lucky enough, it bounced. I was wearing steel cap boots, but it didn't matter. It kind of hit up towards more towards my laces. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I bounced, lift my foot, uh, pulled my foot out and then kind of fell to the ground. Um, didn't really want to see my foot, but the boys just insisted they took my boot off. Um, I was wearing Broncos socks back back in those days. So, uh, <laughs> Might be what saved the toe, mate. Yeah, it could have been, mate. could have been. But um, all I saw was, uh, you know, like the, the yellow and the maroon and then, the bottom of the section of the foot was uh, uh, the actual sock was white, and just had a bit of bit of bit of blood in the left hand corner near the pinky. And I was like, "Oh, that doesn't look good." So leave leave me sock on. So no, no, I got to take it off. Uh, they flicked me sock off, and my big toe was pointing up straight up in the air. Holy and shit! All, all the little toe, all the little toes were all folded over each other and curled down. Oh, uh, and my foot was completely white. So oh, basically, wow. I, I couldn't feel anything from about my hip down. Like it was, it was throbbing. It was, yeah. it was painful. But uh, mm. my, my body just put a block in it and just said, "Nothing, don't, <laughs> don't feel mate. this." <laughs> yeah, thank God for that. Yep. So they uh, and the boys didn't tell me anything about it. They they just kind of said, "Yeah, you can see what you can see and leave it at that." Um, but uh, uh, they got me. Finally, got me to the hospital and um, you know made jokes and laughs and about it. Um, but uh, yeah, he got me to hospital after a few shots of morphine. I was pretty much off my head on morphine and the green whistle, um, which was which was good. Um, the uh, the paramedic he uh, he asked me. He said, "Oh, yeah." By the time we got to the hospital, he said, "How do you feel now?" I said, "Well, 
mate, I can't feel anything at all. He said, well, your green whistle's done the job. Jeez, <laughs> um, mate. But, uh, yeah, as, as the body relaxed, um, blood started going back to my foot and, um, yeah, it started to bleed a fair bit. <laughs> um, because unfortunately, but fortunately, all the pressure went forward and because it went forward, it, it opened up um, underneath my toes from the big toe to the little toe and basically forced all that pressure forward. Um, so she, she bled like there's no tomorrow. Um, so the first surgery was basically break everything straight because uh, everything shattered every toe except the big toe, fractured that one. Um, all the metatarsals, so all the, the bones that lead to your, your toes, um, squashed all the tendons and everything in your foot. Um, basically, yeah, so first first surgery, break everything straight, put me in a cast. Second surgery, uh, make sure everything's straight, shove six-inch pins up every single toe. Um, so everything's sitting there. And then basically sit in hospital and watch everything slowly die. Um, yeah, they, they said I could have, could have risked going home, um, but possibility of gangrene and all that kind of mm. stuff was quite high. So, um, yeah, they, they come in, check it every day and the little toes just started going a little bit darker and a little bit darker and a little bit darker and, and then got to the point where, yeah, yeah couldn't save them. Save them. So doctors, doctors come in and said, we're going to have to remove them. So I said, well, how far are we going? He goes, I don't know, I have to wait until I get in there. Bloody and I said, yeah, he's like, you know, we'll have to, when you wake up, you'll, you'll know what it feels like. <laughs> you'll know when we're done. Yeah, so basically... <laughs> When I, when I woke up after God knows how many hours, um, spewed up and did all kinds of things um, and just woke up in unbelievable agony. I've never been in so much agony in my life. Um, but um, it basically felt like they cut the front of my foot off. So just shoved your foot in the guillotine and just cut behind the toes and lost a whole lot. Um, but uh, next morning, you know, finally got down off my drugs and all that kind of stuff, or off the, all off the morphine and they... Um, the nurses come in and ask me if I wanted to see the foot because obviously they've got to redress it and the, the doctor's got to have a look at it. So, no, no thanks. I don't like the appeal of seeing this one. I know what it feels like. I don't want to see it. And uh, so she's, she's uncovered it and thrown a towel over it. So I didn't see it. The surgeon comes in, an Indian doctor, and he's just going, hey, mate, how you going? And just throwing the towel off my foot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've looked at it and gone, oh, fuck. <laughs> there goes the soccer career I, yeah so i didn't want to see that mate he's like like a band-aid mate you had to see it at some point now's the best time <laughs> so basically yeah in the end he's 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 chopped everything off but the big toe um the two middle toes they went back behind the behind the knuckles and they chopped the knuckles off the the end of the metatarsals uh, the second toe on the uh, pinky they've still got the knuckles but no no toes whatsoever um, lucky enough, they didn't have to do any skin grafts or anything. So that's one of the main concerns. They did say that the skin graft off my ass cheek would hurt more than the foot. Oh, yeah. They say they hurt like a bugger. So you've literally got your own foot up your ass, mate. Uh, no. No, there's no skin graft there. Yeah, lucky enough, mate. Yeah, so, yeah, Keep yourself in the ass. Yeah, yeah there, was enough, there was enough pain in the foot, so they didn't have to do uh, uh, the skin graft off my ass. And they actually stretched the, uh, the skin underneath from underneath my foot to the front and top of my foot. So it does look a little bit odd, the front of my foot, because not only missing toes, but the front of my foot is the bottom of my foot. Um, so yeah. 
Mate, uh, that's that's a very graphic description that I know Coxie is going to thank me for after we stop recording. Oh, this I can episode. do that. Well, <laughs> um, just just quickly before we uh, we do wrap up, Matt. Uh, so that's that's a fairly traumatic injury and surgery, and obviously there was recovery and physio and all sorts of stuff, and it's it's I suspect had an impact on your life, uh, only having one toe on one foot. But uh, mate, is it? Has it uh, contributed to maybe a shift in headspace around other things in your life or, or in business? I'm always curious to talk to people who've had a, an injury or an accident like that. Like, did it, did it sort of cause a, a change in thinking at all for you, Matt? The, probably the biggest thing, mate, was the initial time when I actually got in the hospital and um, a doctor come in with, a, with an intern and told me basically I, I'll probably never walk uh, properly again uh, and I'll probably walk with a cane and I was straight up with him and yes I was high on morphine and I told him to get fucked and <laughs> get, get out of here um, you know, I was 22 years old you, you don't walk and, and this is what I said and I said you can you can fuck off you don't walk in here and tell a 22 year old that plays soccer and water skis um, and you know not I wouldn't say fit but I was quite sporting and lively um, that I'll never be able to do these things again. So I said, you can, you know, fuck off, get out of here and I'll do things what I want to do. And that was basically my goal to start getting back, doing things that I wanted to do that I'd done previously. Um, and just setting goals. And, you know, I took that into business, setting, setting goals for myself, learning how to walk again. It sounds, it sounds funny, you know, like, you know, you've lost your toes, fucking what do you do? You know, um, you know, try and try, try and learn how to walk again. You know, with, with the physio, you know, physio said to me after three and a half months of being on crutches, um, Rodeo, we're going to learn how to walk again today. So, oh, Rodeo, she has one foot in front of the other, mm. and you can take that into business because that's what it is. It's one foot in front of the other. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, the, the brain didn't want to talk to the leg anymore and stopped talking to the leg three months ago, four months ago. Um, so that, that concept of putting one foot in front of the other was retraining everything going on again. Mm. So, you know, once again, training, you know, you, mm. you've got to put one foot in front of the other and make shit happen. Um, so within, within four months, you know, I started walking again. Um, and believe it or not, Nick, I wear thongs. Yeah, of course you do. Um, <laughs> so that, that was, that was a goal of mine. You know, learn how to walk again wear thongs again, um, learn how to run again, play soccer again, start water skiing again, um, wear, you know, wear no shoes. Um, and probably the other thing is, once again, I apologise about my language on this podcast. Oh, we love it. <laughs> Who gives a fuck what people think? So true. People can judge me by, if, if you judge me by my foot, you've got no idea. Yeah. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, just, yeah, fuck what people think. Do, do your own thing and make it happen. Make it happen regardless. And if, if you can't, one foot in front of the other, start again. Mm. You, should, yeah. you should write a book, Matt. Yeah. One foot have you seen, the other, have you seen my handwriting? <laughs> no, that's, that's the thing about uh, copywriters and editors, mate. You don't have to write the damn thing by hand. But uh, it's such a good uh, metaphor for business mm. and for life, mate. And um, it's probably not surprising at all that you've got the the results that you have in your business. And um, it's 
been awesome having a chat to you. I mean, I, I do know a fair bit of your story and uh, I've probably asked you some loaded questions today, but I really wanted our listeners to hear it too because um, when you shared your uh, your latest results with us the other day on the emails, like uh, I said to Coxie, there's a guy I want to get on the show. Uh, and uh, that was you, by the way, Matt. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> So, uh, mate, uh, just got to say, well done. It's it's an absolute pleasure working with you. Um, I'm sure there's some uh, even bigger things around the corner for you and the team and the family. Um, I'll ask you the question that uh, this is my way of telling people that we're wrapping them up, mate. So don't be offended. I'd ask everybody this one. Uh, <laughs> but but if you had a thousand tradies in a room, Matt, what's one piece of advice you would like to leave them with? Tradies themselves or business tradies, tradies to become business let's, owners? Let's go tradie business owners or wannabe tradie business owners. Let go. Just let go. Let, let go and, you know, let, you, let your guys do their job, you know. Obviously, we, we've, we've still got to do the training, but letting go, letting, letting that string go, um, letting go of that spanner, letting go of that spray gun, letting go of the bloody, obviously, hammer or nail gun or whatever, um, getting your boys doing the job so you can concentrate on everything else, working in the background. You know? Um, you know, if they if they don't respect what you do, they don't belong on your team. Mm. So, yeah, even if you are only quoting or you are, you know, once again, as we know, it all begins with the quoting. Mm. It begins with the way you approach your customer. It begins the way you do your quote. You know, customer doesn't get the job painted and then you get to give them a quote. Yeah. Um, so it starts from the top. And works way down. If you you don't approach it in the right place in the first first place, then your tradies don't keep their job with you either. Mm. Yeah, but like I said, we're all the team anyway, so we all work together and we make our job happen. Um, but really, basically, yeah, let go. Yeah, you don't have to be a soul. You know, work by yourself for the rest of your life because you think it's the best thing in the world. You know, because you don't think anybody else can do it. Mm. We're all we all we're all being tired with the same brush. To some, a few, few missing different bristles. <laughs> and toes. And toes. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, great advice, Matt. And look, there is so much we didn't cover with you today that I know uh, you've got lots to share on around marketing and just some of the simple things you've done that haven't cost money. And uh, you sort of alluded to it earlier about getting out there and, and getting seen. So. Um, mate, the stuff you have shared has been awesome. Um, thanks for being so abundant with your time today, Matt. I know you're a busy man with uh, a busy business and lots to work on. Uh, so, mate, from me, thank you. And, and thanks for being such a fantastic client of us at Tradies in Business and uh, really proving that, you know, even a panel beater can uh, can do amazing things. Yeah, that's yeah. even a panel beater. Even a panel beater. <laughs> it doesn't actually really exist. It's not even yeah. a real trade. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Matt. Uh, it's been a joy. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Our pleasure. You've been listening to the Tradies in Business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business, and other cool stuff at tradiesinbusiness.com.au.